Well, our study in Philippians is coming to a close. Um, I may do something different. So next Sunday, I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be preaching at RBC, our church plant in Nacogdoches. Uh, Pastor Aaron will be bringing the word. There he is. <clears throat> next Sunday. Uh, you know, we, we really just have one more passage in Philippians after next week. But I think I may do a sermon just on verse 20. Um, but I haven't decided yet. What's he going to do? Stay tuned. We'll see. Um, <clears throat> The title of my sermon this morning is Give Generously. The big idea, the gospel moves God's church to give. Now, as I was coming in this morning, I realized that some of you, maybe you've been you know, inviting a neighbor or a friend or a family member to church for the past several weeks and months, and they finally came today. And you're like, you're preaching on giving today? Giving I think a lot of us balk at, at this idea of giving. It makes us uncomfortable. Maybe we're embarrassed when the church talks about it, but we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. This is a massive theme in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Giving. Christ gave his life. Epaphroditus nearly risked his life, right, for the gospel. The church in Philippi, at the beginning of the letter and at the end, is commended for sacrificially giving for the advancement of the gospel. Amen? So we shouldn't be embarrassed. So if you brought a guest today, hey, I'm glad you're here. I pray you're fed. Um, So don't be embarrassed. This is an important topic. Let me pray one more time, and then we're going to dive in. And I'm going to try to move quickly. Uh, I'll slow down in a few areas, but there's a lot of ground to cover, so I want to move quickly this morning. Father, We come before you one more time in the name of Jesus as your blood-bought people, and we ask and we plead according to your Son's name that you would feed us, that we would come hungry, that we would drink deep from the well of your word. Father, remind us today of your generosity, that you are the God who gives. You gave your life, and I pray that we would give, not just of our time, but of our resources for the proclamation and the expansion and the furtherance of your kingdom in the gospel. I pray that we would give sacrificially, that our money would not have a hold on us, that we would have a hold on it, that we would see the resources you've given us as a gift to be stewarded well, again, for your glory and the spread of the gospel. Lord, move in our hearts this morning. Uh, Make us aware of greed or selfishness. I, I pray that When we give and as we give, that we would give joyfully, that we would give faithfully, and that we would trust you, Lord. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, So last week, we looked at probably one of my favorite passages in Philippians, Philippians 4, 10 to 13. The takeaway, you guys weren't here, Christ is enough. Paul uses a word, autarkia, in the Greek. You know, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. Uh, it's not whether he has enough, whether he has little. That really didn't come into the equation. His circumstances didn't matter. What mattered was he had Christ. So despite his circumstances, he could be content. Amen? Christ was enough. Christ was enough. Christ is enough. So again, Paul's contentment was in Christ alone. And through Christ's power, this is Philippians 4.13 that is often misused and taken out of context, 
through Christ's strength, Paul is able to persevere in joy in all situations and circumstances. Amen? I mean, come on. He can have joy no matter what because he has who? He has Christ. Um, so this was back in 2010. Yeah, 2010. I was getting ready to go to Africa. Uh, I'd finished seminary, and I was going to teach at a Bible college in Cameroon, and uh, I was raising money to go. And one of my best friends, uh, he'd just gotten married about two months before this, poor married guy, and uh, him and his wife, they don't have much, and uh, he wanted to contribute. He goes, hey man, I, I love you, I know your heart, we've been in the same church growing up, uh, I, I want to give. And I thought, oh man, yeah, great. I thought he'd give like 50 bucks. And even that amount for them would be sacrificial. Dude gave 500 bucks. $500. And again, from the world's perspective, that seems ludicrous. 500 bucks? Like, how are you guys going to eat? That's a lot of money when you're a poor, newly married couple, right? I mean, you guys remember when, when Haley and I got married, 500 bucks, like, we needed that. But they gave, and they gave joyfully. And again, from the world's perspective, that's crazy. What are you thinking? Christ had their hearts, amen? They were invested in the stuff of the kingdom. And they gave joyfully. It was sweet. When I was a, a church planner in Washington State, early on, we <clears throat> had a, a family. They were members, uh, the Ravens, and uh, they were going to Albania for the whole summer. And we partnered with uh, a church planner in Albania. I'd gone three years in a row for these you know, long summer stints, taking high school and college students. And this guy, Ryan, one of the gift, most gifted evangelists I know, and uh, we would do camps there for youth. Al- Albania is a very young country, meaning not it's old, but the demographic, it's a lot of young people. It's weird. Uh, it's like, where are the old people? They disappeared. No, they didn't disappear. Just, there's a lot of young people. And so we would do these camps, and Ryan was just so gifted at sharing the gospel with students. Um, the church planner said, hey, can you come, you and your wife and kids, for the whole summer and do camps the whole summer? They had a lot of money. They had to get an apartment. They had to pay for food. And so they needed like $8,000. And so we brought them before the church. And we're a small church at this time. We're small. Uh, we're blue collar. You know, we don't have like wealthy church members. We gave $9,000 on a Sunday morning. I could not believe it. Again, from the world's perspective, that's crazy. What are y'all thinking? The Lord had our hearts. Amen. We gave for the spread of the gospel. The gospel affects our spending, doesn't it? It affects how we spend our time, but it also affects how we spend our money, 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 money. Hey, they're not the only ones that can sing, right? Yeah, you guys are. I'm terrible. Anyways, um, so here's the question. What does God's word teach us in these verses? The obvious point is we give to advance the gospel. That's why we give. But just some questions I want us to look at this morning. What does our giving reveal? How is it viewed by God? What does it mean? Let me just back up a little bit. In this section, Paul is pointing out the fruit or evidence of sanctification in the lives of the church in Philippi. Okay, so he's looking at, in our passage, the evidence of their sanctification. And what is the evidence of their sanctification that they're growing in Christ's likeness? How do they show that they're in love with Jesus and they're committed to him? By their what? By their giving. By their giving. Paul is essentially saying... I see that fruit. I see that fruit. Our sanctification involves faithfully giving to support the spread of the gospel. 
And remember, this is like months ago, but this is a friendship letter. That's the type of letter this is. It's called a friendship letter. This is what friends in the church do. They point out fruit, right? I see that fruit, Max. I see that fruit. I see how the Lord's using you, bro. Praise God. So let me just step back. I want to review chapter 4, and then we'll dive into our passage. So Philippians 4, 2 to 20, is a very unique section in Paul's letter. Philippians 4, 2 to 9, is... The, the fruit or evidence of sanctification. Paul's speaking, speaking generally here. These are the things that should mark the believer who is growing in Christ's likeness. That is Philippians 4, 2-9. In Philippians 4, 10-13, Paul shows us from his own life the fruit or evidence of sanctification, right? His own example. And then today, in Philippians 4, 14-20, we have the fruit of sanctification in the Philippian church. Paul points out their fruit. What's another big theme in Philippians? Imitation, right? Paul holds up examples for us to follow. Christ in chapter 2, Paul in chapter 2, Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapter 2. And now he's ending his letter and he's raising up who is an example? The Philippians themselves. They're an example. Why does Paul commend them? Because they give sacrificially for the spread of the gospel. According to Philippians, the gospel affects how we spend our lives, and this includes our finances. I wrote an article on giving years ago, and uh, if you want it, I'd love to give it to you. I'm going to do a little excursus this morning on tithing. What is tithing? Where does it come from? But I feel like anytime we talk about money in the church, not necessarily Kelties, but just the church in general, people get uncomfortable. Guys kind of shift their weight. You know, so you have usually your left cheek. I'm not being graphic here. That's where I keep my wallet, and I feel like guys kind of shift their weight over their wallet. Like, they're on guard. It's my money. I worked hard for this. Well, it's the Lord's money, amen? He's given it, and he calls us to steward it well for his glory. So maybe shift back over. I'm watching for shifting. <laughs> All right, <laughs> what do we learn from our passage today? Number one, partner with the church to advance the gospel through giving. Partner with the church to advance the gospel through giving. Uh, there's this word group in Greek, uh, koinonia, fellowship, partnership. There's a related word twice used in our passage this morning. It's like soon koinonia. Again, the church is a fellowship. It's a partnership. And we're to partner together to do what? To spread the gospel. And one way we do that is by our, our giving. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Yet. Everybody say yet. Not yeti, but yet, yet. Good. What does the word yet mean? What does it communicate here? It could be translated as nevertheless. It's an adversative. Paul is seeking to correct any misunderstanding that he may have evoked by his recent words. Last week's passage. Now, is Paul grateful for the gift they've given? Do you sense that Paul saying, like, yo, I don't need your money? I'm good. I've learned the secret of contentment. Fooey on your money. Is that Paul? No. He's thankful for the gift, right? What he's communicating earlier is even if I didn't have the gift, I'd be content. Why? Because I have, I have Christ. But Paul is grateful. He's saying, I depend on Christ. My contentment rests in Christ. Yet, nevertheless, church, you did well. You did well. You acted correctly and kindly in sharing my trouble. Paul is here commending the church in Philippi for their support. 
And as we saw last week, Paul saw their gift as the Lord's provision. That was verse 10. So how have they shared Paul's trouble? Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Who likes to share trouble? That's a strange line. Who likes to share trouble? Imagine a homeless man approaching you and saying, Hey, bro, can you spare a little trouble? When I lived in downtown Boston, I heard a lot of homeless guys say, Can you spare a little change? I never heard one say, Can you spare a little trouble? (laughs) That sounds crazy. And maybe you're thinking, Chris, I have enough trouble of my own. I definitely don't need to share in the trouble of others. What is Paul talking about here? Let's look at some of his language. Um, to share. To share. This is that word grouping, sum kononeo. It means to be associated with someone in some activity, to be connected, to have fellowship. It's the sense of taking sympathetic interest in someone else. It denotes partnership and participation. They, the church in Philippi, had partnered or come alongside Paul in his trouble. What was Paul's trouble? Was he on holiday as he wrote this letter? Was he, was he vacationing? Was he on the beach getting a tan? No, he was where? He's in prison, suffering. He was being opposed. He says, my trouble, this is a, a strange Greek word, uh, flipsis, flipsis. I, it's hard for me to even say. But it denotes trouble that inflicts distress, uh, oppression, affliction, tribulation, persecution. So how have the Philippians taken sympathetic interest in Paul's trouble, his oppression, his suffering, his opposition? How have they partnered with Paul in his affliction? Their support. Their monetary gift. It says to Paul, Paul, we love you, brother. We care about you. We are on board. We are on board with your ministry and mission. We wish to be a part of it. Your chains will not deter us. We are with you, brother. Ralph Martin writes, they, the church in Philippi, had taken some of his burden upon themselves in their genuine and deep sense of concern that expressed itself in constructive action on behalf of the apostle and therefore on behalf of the gospel. That's a long sentence, Ralph, but I hope that made sense to you guys. They entered into his trouble by sacrificially giving to provide relief for their brother Their giving, because it was sacrificial, enabled them to share in Paul's trouble. They they felt it, right? They felt it. When you give, when you give, you feel it. You should feel it. When you give sacrificially, you feel it, don't you? Their giving was costly, and yet it was worth it because it was for the sake of the spread of the gospel. So they are sharers together with Paul in this ministry that brings affliction. Philippians 1.7, let's go back. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all, here's the word again, you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For Paul, affliction and gospel ministry went hand in hand. They were supportive of Paul in this ministry. So again, going back to 2010, when I lived in Africa, people were supporting me there. My local church was supporting me. They had given so that I could go there for six months. I I had people send me emails. I had people 
write me letters and, and give me notes. They let me know they were praying for me. I was supported. There was a partnership. They were working with me. The church back home was working with me and alongside me to advance the gospel. Many gave a lot. I mentioned the one family. They gave 500 bucks. That was huge. How can we share in the affliction-producing ministry of others, the gospel ministry that we're talking about here? Through giving, praying, and proclaiming. Through giving, praying, and proclaiming. Are you giving to the church to see the gospel go forward? Are you praying for your pastors, fellow church members, uh, missionaries that we're supporting as a church body? And are you faithfully proclaiming the gospel to others? Why were the Philippians committed to sharing in Paul's affliction by giving support to his ministry? Why would they give? These people who had so little, why would they give? Because, again, the gospel moves us to give. Amen? I, I've talked about this anytime I, I do the offering here. And I, I've been doing this probably for eight years now. Why do we give church? We give because the king says give. That's good enough for me. When Christ says do something, you do it because he has all authority in heaven and on earth. All right? There's no higher authority than Christ. And when he commands us to do something, we do it. Amen? We do it. But we also do it to imitate our Savior, who being rich became poor for our sake so that we could be rich spiritually. Amen? So we give to imitate our Savior. And then thirdly, we give to see the gospel go forward. It takes resources to get the gospel out. Amen? God gives us resources so that we can invest those resources in the spread of his name. That's why we give. So here's point number two. Those who receive must give. Those who receive must give. Verse 15 and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into, here's that word again, partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. We see this principle hammered out by Paul in Romans 15 as well. Romans 15, 27. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings they also ought to be of service to them in material things. Let's look at some of Paul's language here. He says, in the beginning of the gospel, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So, in the beginning of the gospel, what is meant by this phrase? The NIV reads, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, it's better to read this phrase not from the standpoint of Paul, but from that of the Philippians. From the very moment they received the gospel, what? What happened? They launched. Everybody say they launched. I didn't say they launched like they ate. They launched. I shouldn't have said lunch because now you're thinking about food. Stop. All right, let's get fed on the word first. From the very moment they received the gospel, they launched their partnership with Paul in advancing the gospel. Recall Philippians 1, 3-5. Paul says, this is the beginning of his letter, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your what? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. 
from the day the gospel had done its work in the church in Philippi until now, the church had entered, they had entered into partnership with Paul for the sake of the spread of the gospel. They had begun to spend their lives and their resources for the spread of the fame of Jesus Christ. Amen? How do you know that the gospel is doing its work in your life? It's seen in your giving. It's true. Again, not just your time. That's important. But also your resources. Do they have a hold on you or do you have a hold on them? When I left Macedonia, this is just kind of an aside, but I want to mention it quickly. It's likely that Paul is referring here to his time in Corinth after leaving Macedonia. 2 Corinthians 11, 9. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So they have a history. The church in Philippi has a history from the very beginning since they were converted by grace of doing what? Of giving financially for the spread of the gospel. Giving and receiving. Dosis, lymphis. Dosis, lymphis. Giving and receiving. Now, although this is commercial language, evoking the image of an opened account where money is coming in and going out, it also serves as a metaphor for friendship, a relationship of mutual giving and receiving. Who's ever had a friend and all they do is talk? Don't raise your hand. All they do is talk. What are you thinking? Man, I've got needs too. I'm hurting too. And all you do is talk. That's kind of a one-way relationship, right? True friendships built on the gospel should be what? Two-way. Not just speaking, but listening. Not just, hey, you serve me, but I want to serve you as well. And that type of relationship is exemplified in Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi. Again, there's this understanding of mutual giving and receiving. I'll unpack this more shortly. Again, this is a friendship letter. It's a letter between friends. All the characteristics of Greco-Roman friendship are there. Friendship in this culture centered on reciprocity, okay? I'll take care of you, you take care of me. I have your best interest in mind and vice versa. But there's a third party involved in this friendship. A third party who functions as the glue holding this relationship together. The common ground of this friendship. The very basis. And who is that? Who, who held their friendship together? Who was the basis for their friendship? Christ. Christ. It is their mutual love for Christ and their commitment to the things of Christ that grounds their friendship. All right, let's quickly discuss the reciprocal nature of this friendship. Paul gave to them. What did Paul give to them? You guys are in Bible school. What did Paul give to them? He's going around planting churches, and what is he bringing? What is he giving? The, it rhymes with gospel. The gospel, right? He, he's, he brings the gospel, the good news, by which the lost are saved. He brings the gospel. They'd received it from him. He ministered to them the gospel. And what did they give? They gave support to Paul. They supported his ministry. Who nearly died for the sake of the gospel from their church? Epaphro. That's what I call him. When I see him in heaven, Epaphro, what's up, bro? What? It's Epaphroditus. Well, I like Epaphro. Anyways, they gave, the Philippian church gave support to Paul's ministry. 
they shared and continued to share in his affliction. Why no other church? Matthew Harmon notes, this should not be understood as a criticism of other churches, but rather as a commendation of the Philippians in the special relationship he shared with them. End quote. The Philippians are to be commended for their giving, their partnership with Paul. Again, Paul is saying, I see that fruit. I see that fruit. In verse 16, Paul acknowledges their giving on another occasion. They supported him while he was in Thessalonica, the city he traveled to after leaving Philippi. That's Acts 16 and 17. What is the application here? What can we take away from these verses? How are we as Christians to treat money? One commentator phrases the question this way. How can Christians, this is really good by the way, how can Christians who must use unrighteous wealth in order to survive guard themselves from its deceptive tendency to take the place of God? One of the greatest idols known to man is what? Money. Money. How are we as Christians to treat money? What's the solution here? Let's learn from Paul and the Philippians. What did we learn last week? What is the solution to not making money an idol? What does Paul say? He learned the secret of contentment. Was his contentment based on his bank account? Say it in Spanish. No. Good job, guys. That's an old running joke here. Yeah. I think it's funny. I always thought it was funny. Until Luis was like, that's not actually how you say it. It's no. And I said, man, you ruined it. Now every time I say it, I hear Luis's voice, which I love, by the way. Beautiful. Paul found, this is last week, Paul found satisfaction not in wealth nor in financial support, but in Christ alone. So here's the key to making sure that your wealth doesn't become an idol. Be content in Christ alone. Amen? Be content in Christ alone. Secondly, the Philippians, they were what? They were givers. They gave generously to support the cause of advancing the gospel of Christ. Give generously. There is a correlation, and Jesus hits on this. There's a correlation between your heart and how you spend your money, right? They kind of go together. And I wonder if I peeked at your bank account, what I would see, what we would see. And actually, I had someone really good on computers do that for me, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, what? No! But think about that. Seriously, what would it reveal? What would it show? How you spend your money, how you spend your time. Do you treasure Christ supremely or the things of this world? So give generously. Make sure that you have a hold on your money and that it doesn't have a hold on you. You know, the gospel lays waste to our idols. Amen? The gospel lays waste to our idols. Now, idols are typically good things that we make ultimate things. Is money inherently bad? Like, do we, if you see a dollar bill, you're walking through Walmart parking lot, and you see a five on the, on the what am I, what's the parking lot? The concrete, the pavement, thank you. Lost for words, always. Do you run from it screaming? No, you pick that bad boy up, right? Gas money, one gallon, there you go. <laughs> money is not inherently evil, right? But when you make money the ultimate thing, now it's become what? An idol. The gospel enables us to prioritize according to God's economy. And this is seen in how we view and handle money. 
We no longer love money as Christians, do we? We no longer love money, but we view it as a means to an end, as a means of supporting our families and giving generously to see the gospel go forward. Now, because of the gospel, we should never say, oh, I have to give, but rather, I get to give. If we treasure Christ supremely, then it will be seen in our giving. So give generously to the church so as to support and advance the work of the gospel both near and far. Let me just do a quick excursus on tithing. Maybe some of you are wondering, well, how much should we give? Where do we give it? These are important questions. Why does it matter? <clears throat> Again, I've written an article on this. That's, uh, it's, this is brief. I've written an article that's much more exhaustive. And so if you're interested, just email me, text me, call me. But the tithe originates from the Old Testament. This was God's way of providing for the ministers of Israel. It was the tribe of Levi that was responsible for the ministry of the tabernacle and later the temple. Rather than giving them or apportioning to them land, right? God ordained that the other 11 tribes give a portion of their goods to support God's ministers. This is Numbers 18, 20, and 21. And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land, neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. To the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel for inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. John Piper writes, Some of God's people are called not to do money-making business in the ordinary ways. They are called to be pastors and ministers and missionaries and ministry assistants and so on. The rest of God's people are to be gainfully employed and support the vocational ministers and the costs of that ministry. Now, when we come to the New Testament, this is where it gets interesting. When we come to the New Testament, it appears that the emphasis on tithing is low. Again, not non-existent, but it's low. See Matthew 23, 23. However, the language of giving abounds. The language of giving abounds. Now, a good place to look in the New Testament as it concerns giving is 2 Corinthians 8-9. to Here we see the churches in Macedonia, okay? And who's, who's a part of that region? Philippi. Philippi. 2 Corinthians 8-1-3, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Again, we are to take care of our ministers, our pastors, the missionaries we support by giving generously with a view towards advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Recall Paul's words in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So here's the question. Where should our monies go? I don't think any of us would disagree with the statement we're called to give to support the gospel. Everybody agree with that? But I think maybe the question hanging in the air is, but where? Where should we direct our monies? I think this is where some Christians struggle. <clears throat> give to the local church. Give to the local church. Let me make my case, and then you can stone me afterwards if you don't agree with me. But bring it on. I'm just kidding. 
According to Matthew 16, Matthew 18, and Matthew 28, Jesus gives the church the authority to establish membership, to practice discipline, and to make disciples. Okay? In those three texts. The church is to organize itself around the, the gospel. Amen? Why do we gather? <laughs> we gather to hear the gospel, teach the gospel, celebrate the gospel, and to be equipped to mobilize in our communities and beyond for the spread of the gospel. We're called to support our gospel workers. Amen? The gathered church has the authority to decide how much to give to support its shepherds and its missionaries. So give to the church and trust the Lord to use his spirit-filled and authorized body, the church, to disseminate the monies given toward gospel-worthy needs. Lastly, as Christians, we have received from the gospel. We have benefited, amen, eternally. May we imitate the Philippians and give back. Here's point number three. Our giving is evidence of where we're going. It's not determinative, okay, but evidential. I'm not saying if you give, you're going to heaven, by the way. I'm saying if you give, it's evidence where you're going. As a Christian, if you have a hold on your money and you are sowing faithfully into the kingdom of God and you're giving to support the ministry of the gospel, both your time and your resources, it's evidence of your sanctification, that you're growing in Christ's likeness. Amen? But if you're like, oh, if you're like my, my little girl, Samantha, mine. No, mine. Girl? Better watch it. And then she smiles at me and I'm like, melt. Which are you? Lord, it's yours. I want to spend for your glory or it's mine. My precious. I can't do the voice. So, I, yeah. Verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Not that I seek the gift. This is really significant. In commenting, right, so what is he doing here? He's commending the Philippians. So in commending the Philippians for their generous gift, Paul is not requesting more. He's not requesting more. Lest he be misunderstood, Paul sees it necessary to correct any misunderstanding surrounding his previous words. How did Paul correct any false impression before? Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. Again, the gift was not the source or basis for Paul's contentment. But what? What was the basis for his contentment? Was it Christ? Christ. Here Paul goes a, a different direction. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I seek, epizateo, I seek to have a strong desire for. Striving, seeking, searching, wishing. What is it that Paul desires from or for the Philippians? Not the gift, but the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul was concerned about what? Fruit. Fruit. Everybody say fruit. We love fruit, right? But what kind of fruit are we talking about here? The fruit or evidence of salvation, right? Their giving was what? It was fruit. Paul commended them for their giving because it was what? It was fruit. Their generosity meant future blessing because it revealed their heart, a heart transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, there is great future reward. Again, their generosity evidenced their fruitfulness, a fruitfulness that would be rewarded on the final day. Philippians 1, 9 to 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Paul is relating their gift, their generosity, to end-time blessing. Christians are to be fruitful, right? Do good works. It reveals a changed heart, a changed life that will forever live with Jesus in heaven. Again, their fruitfulness springs out of their right standing before God, a right standing made possible by faith in Jesus and the indwelling Holy Spirit. Their end is eternal glory. Again, future blessing is being emphasized here. Friends, when you see a brother or sister giving generously to spread the gospel, it reveals their end. Where are they headed? They're sending their money ahead. Have you ever heard that phrase? We're, as Christians, we're sending our money ahead. We're not investing in earthly things. We're investing in what? Heavenly things. So in a sense, when we give generously, we are sending our money ahead. We're looking ahead. We want to give in such a way that it pays what? Eternal dividends. Amen? Again, what is Paul doing here? He is seeking their advantage. He is putting their need before his own. He is thinking of them. And they're, of course, thinking of Paul. (laughs) Mutual giving and receiving. What a beautiful picture of the body of Christ, of gospel friendship. I think of Paul's words in Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another and showing honor. Again, they're giving to Paul. Paul is saying, hey, I want to give you more opportunity to be fruitful. (laughs) Let us seek to imitate the Philippians in Paul here. Verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. What is he saying here? Paul's needs have been met. He has the resources necessary to continue his work. Paul is presenting them with a receipt. They have paid in full. The obligation to give, the obligation of friendship, is now back on Paul. For the Philippians, the gift meant fruitfulness and future blessing. This was an opportunity for them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. For Paul, it meant the provision for resources needed to carry out his ministry. Last question, what did it mean for God? What does our giving mean to God? Somebody say worship. Thank you. Verse 18. How does Paul describe their gift? A fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The final part of verse 18 is bathed in Old Testament language. Their obedience, their giving to Paul, an expression of their selfless service and commitment to the gospel brought pleasure to who? To God. Genesis 8, Noah sacrifices before God after God's great and merciful deliverance right through the ark. Genesis 8, 21. And when the Lord smelled the what? The pleasing aroma. Their giving honored the Lord. It blessed the Lord. Now this is really cool. Isaiah looks ahead to the time when the Gentiles would worship the Lord in such a way that their worship would be well received by God. 
it'd be a pleasing aroma. This is fulfillment language. Isaiah 56, 6 and 7. And the foreigners, who are those? Those are Gentiles. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. Give generously to advance the gospel. Give generously to bring honor and glory to God. What, what should motivate all that we do as believers? I want to look good. No. We want God to look good. Amen? And so his glory is to motivate all that we do, and that includes our giving. Our giving. As Christians, again, we are sending our money ahead. We are investing in heavenly things. We see beyond this life to the life to come. And it's the life to come that affects how we live now. Jesus' words in Matthew 6.20, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Friends, I hope this makes sense. If you're a Christian, you're giving should look ludicrous to the world. It should look strange. You, you guys give that much for that? That doesn't make sense. You're, you're giving money to support missionaries across. You don't even know these people. That's stupid. That's what the world says. But we know better, don't we? Because Christ has our heart, and we care about the spread of his fame. Amen? Last point, two minutes. God provides his children with the resources needed to face all situations in advancing the gospel. Verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, I gave the gospel to you guys. You gave me the resources needed to continue my gospel work. God will supply your needs as you continue in him. And that third party is brought to light once again. May we learn from Paul's example. And let us not read this verse out of context. What has Paul been talking about up to this point? The promise here is not wants, but needs. Specifically, that which is needed to persevere in and advance the gospel. Moises Silva writes, Paul's main concern is to help the Philippians find their true contentment in the peace and power of God. And, and what is the goal of all this? Giving selflessly and generously to advance the gospel? God's what? It's his glory. Verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Why do we give generously? Why do we give in a, a ludicrous fashion? <laughs> because we want to see God glorified as his name is spread across the globe. Amen? As his name is made famous in Lufkin, Texas, we care about his glory. And that's why we give generously. May God be glorified in our generous giving to advance the message of Jesus Christ, the gospel. May all that we do as a church be aimed at this most worthy goal. When we truly realize, think about this, when we truly realize that Christ is enough and our contentment is in him, then we view our money and our time and our resources differently. They don't have a hold on us. We have a hold on them because Christ has a hold on us. And we are committed to using these things, our, our time and our resources, for his glory and the spread of his fame. So do you know the gospel? It's the gospel that transforms the church to live and think this way. Amen?
It's the message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that changes a people to spend their lives and to give of their resources sacrificially for the spread of his fame in his name. If you don't know the gospel, let me tell it to you in 12 seconds, 17 seconds. We're sinners, all of us. We owe God a debt we can't pay. We owe him a perfect life. Raise your hand if you were born inside the garden. Good, none of us were. We were kicked out, right? All of us have sinned. None of us are righteous according to God's standard. So we can't pay the debt we owe. That's when you say, man, bummer. That stinks. But one has, amen? Christ lived the perfect life. So the debt's been paid, but what about the punishment we owe? Because we've not lived perfect, God owes us what? Punishment. So Christ not only lived that perfect life, but he took the punishment in our place. Somebody say double grace. Well, right? Come on. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserved. And then three days later, he what? He rose again, proving that all his claims are true and that his saving work worked. Trust in Jesus. Turn from sin. Enjoy a forever relationship with God. And be a part of the church. Plug into the church. Follow Jesus with the church. Give to the church to see the gospel go forward. Amen? Listen, if you're a recipient of the gospel, you know there's no better news. It's changed you, and you should want more than nothing else for that same gospel to change the lives of others. And so we pray for that work, we proclaim, but we also give. Amen? We give to see the gospel go forward, so give. Give faithfully, give joyfully, give courageously, give generously, and trust the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you're a God who gives. We thank of your character revealed in your word. You are a generous God. You give of yourself. You gave yourself. Father, you gave the Son to die for sinners like us so that we can be saved and forgiven and reconciled to you and have peace with you and be brought into your family. And I pray that we would imitate your generosity, that we would spend our lives, that we would give of ourselves for your glory and the good of others in the spread of your fame. Father, I pray that we would not hold on to our money, that we would not say it's ours, it's mine, that we would recognize that all that we have is a gift from you to be stewarded well for your glory. Work in our hearts by the Spirit through the word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said.